When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hardcore Surf History. Hello, this is Tyler Brewer for Hardcore Surf History bonus section, complimenting episode 26, The Longboard Revolution. Our guest for this episode really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Uh, He's kind of special and kind of a big deal. I had a great fortune to sit and chat with Devin Howard former editor of Longboard Magazine and former WSL Longboard Tour Commissioner. I mean, this guy's list of accomplishments can go on and on. And I'm going to bore you and and indulge in some of those right here. Just so, you know, if you're not familiar with him, uh, I got to give it to you. So he starred in such iconic longboard films such as The Seedling, Single Fin Yellow, One California Day, and numerous others. He's a regular contributor to the Surfer's Journal and has some competitive chops as well. He won the Deus nine foot and single comp in Bali back in 2014, and it was kind of pumping Chenggu, like really, really good. Uh, So he just fucking schooled a bunch of groms. It's sick. Uh, Go look up the footage if you can online. He's also helped spur the mid-length revolution, but that's a conversation for another episode, I think. Um, But Devin, for all his humility, and as he claims in this episode, he's no expert on surf history, I honestly would have to disagree. Uh, And it's evident in the following discussion. Uh, Devin helps give us a a clear-eyed view of the longboard revival, its evolution, the players, and the politics. And he's such a wonderfully articulate and great spokesman for the sport. Uh, I could have listened to him all day long wax surf history and philosophy. And what follows is truly for the surf nerds who listen to this show. So you're going to really enjoy this. We get into some really great nitty-gritty stuff. I think you all are going to really learn a lot from this too. Um, But before we begin, let's take care of the business side of things. Uh, Hardcore Surf History is produced by the Surf Splendor Podcast Network. Uh, You can find us at www.surfsplendorpodcast.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at hardcore underscore surf underscore history. 
And we are also on Facebook for those of you who are still there. Um, and without further ado, uh, I'm going to hand everything over now and we're going to go to the always gracious Devin Howard. We hope you enjoy and we'll see you all on down the line. I'm drinking a beer here because Good. it is four o'clock. It's 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 beer o'clock for you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, Modelo. Excellent. I'm not a big drinker. I, I like a couple times a week. I'll have a beer when I get home. But it's like sunny out. It's like I'm gonna sit here and talk for a little bit. It just like lubes things up. Normally, Jamie has a bottle of whiskey or something. You know, like with it with this and he gets pretty loose and by the end of the show he's really That's your feeling brother it. yeah um, so does he have kind of an english accent yeah he lives in london how long does he live there like 15 years okay almost. that's why he has this kind of strange it's not english and it's not a new york accent it's like a hybrid People are like he's a mid-length of uh, uh, <laughs> accents. <laughs> he's the mid-length of accents, exactly. He, he. In England, they don't accept his accent, and then when he comes home, people don't like, accept where the it fuck either. Are you from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. He, but he's he's over there. So yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, but so we did this episode on like kind of the the. Longboard revolution, we we called it, because it, in some ways it kind of was, because it it kind of took over. If you look in the lineup, majority of people are on either a longboard or a mid length of some sort. You know, I think in most places around the world, uh, particularly, you know, older surfers, I think you know we we start to gravitate towards that. But we we went into this whole conversation, what facilitated this, you know, and we discussed like what were the, the key ingredients to bring longboarding back? Cause it, it all but disappeared, you know, I mean, you were ostracized if you were on a longboard in the seventies, you know, it was, you know, other than a couple key spots. Uh, yeah. so I was curious, like where, where would you put like ground zero for like the rebirth of longboarding? Um, I don't know where ground zero is because I, I got into it in the mid eighties and I would just sort of listen to things going on at Donald Takayama's shop when I got introduced to that place when I was around 14. Um, it seemed like my recollection was, uh, in Southern California, there was a few like club events. I know you guys talked about the, I think you talked about the Dewey Weber event. Yeah. Um, I hope you reach out to Joel Tudor because he lives and breathes this stuff. And like, I was actually going to school and working and he had time to like not do that stuff <laughs> and, and hear all the stories from Donald. But, um, I well, think any was, intro is appreciated there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he's, he is a wealth of knowledge. And I think it would be worthwhile for you guys to sit down and get some of this stuff on tape because a lot of it's just a little too long form for print. And now yeah. with podcast, I think it's nice to record these things. Um, you know, all I can remember is that just guys like Herbie Fletcher, Ben Ipa, and Donald Takayama, you know, a few of these guys were um, 
you know, just weren't feeling the love on shortboards at the time. And they were able to convince, convince uh, Groby Clark to make some blanks, you know, they were hard to come by. And you guys, you know, I, I listened to the previous podcast, not every bit of it, but I got the gist of it. And uh, you guys were right, you know, it was, um, you had these aging surfers who had a had a choice to make of can I ride a, a, a six zero? And even though the six zeros then were two and three quarters, yeah. two and seven eighths, they they were still pretty small. And when some of these shapers started making those boards, they're like, "Wow, well, I can I I can do this." And so I don't know, maybe ground ground zero. I, 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 it's probably a combo of Southern California and the South Shore of Hawaii. You know? Yeah. Um, I think sometimes that area gets a little overlooked. Um, mm -hmm. But Warren Bolster has some great photos of Ben Ipa and the crew. And if you, if if you can, maybe reach out to the Ipa family. And gosh, be, it'd be great to get some info from them because China Uemura and a few other guys like came up around that whole thing. So Hawaii had a kind of always had a thing going. The Beach Boys kept riding them. I think they often get overlooked in the story. Mm. Um, I also should just clarify that I'm, you know, I'm part of the longboard culture, but I just want to clarify that I'm not, I'm not an authority. You know, I'm not the uh, the Matt Warshaw of anything here. <laughs> I can only share my own experiences, which I think are pretty honest. Which is growing up in Southern California, just like most places in the world, we were influenced by things around us, and those were primarily driven by print media, mm -hmm. um, surf media. My mother has been subscribing to surfer magazine since the sixties, like never stopped. Wow. I was born in 74. So if you do the math on that from a very young age, surfer magazine, well, from birth surfer magazine was stacking up in the house. <laughs> so before I even knew what was going on, we were being exposed to that stuff. And so you can, you know, imagine by the late seventies, early eighties, all the stuff I'm looking at my younger brother, we were, we were into it. Longboarding didn't even become a, a thought until I was 14. I broke my back and I was sitting at the beach at San Onofre. You know, six months of recovery. I jumped I... off a roof. Like it, it just so stupid. <laughs> and it, I wasn't paralyzed. I just, no. the, the L5 was yeah. fractured in three places and um, sounds worse than it was, but it was pretty traumatic for a 14 year old. It was yeah. pretty active and I was, you know, super into surfing, shortboarding, and the shortboarding was surfing, right? And yeah. I remember, you know, a neighbor of mine, Joel Tudor, I was, my brother was his age, and I'm the same age as Joel's older brother. We're two, mm -hmm. oh, two years apart, but we all hung out together and skateboarded. It was a cool neighborhood thing. And so we're, anyways, long story short, we're at the beach. Joel's been longboarding. I wasn't that interested in longboarding, but I was like, you know, I, I need to surf. So I just took it out for a ride at, at what's now called Four Door. Mm -hmm. That back then they called it the point, I think, and maybe they still do. But it was this kind of no man's land between the point and uh, old man's. And I, I, I was, you know, all the cliches like, I the bug, I got the surf bug, you know. And <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, there's something, there is something here with this feeling. The the feeling of trim and the the, the style component and all these things. And then I quickly sort of identified with longboarding because it was sort of like a middle finger to a mainstream sort of uh, herd mentality. 
Yeah. And my whole life, I've always liked, I've always liked to kind of be aware of the usual way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not some avant-garde artist or anything like that, but I, <laughs> but in terms of like questioning things, um, right. always cu- culturally, historically, everything. And that fit in really well at that time, because this is like, you know, mid late eighties time, sorry, late eighties. Shortboarding was and, the mainstream. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. It was, and it was cool. And it was like the thing. And, um, that was kind of a taking a leap. And the only reason I'll share that is because um, it wasn't cool then. And I was called the F word and it's, it doesn't end with K. It, ends with a diff- <laughs> it was a different kind of F word. Um, gotten fights, gotten all kinds of stuff without even really? just like before even doing anything. I mean, you want to talk about hate. I, I can go on for, for hours about it. But what it did is it, it made me want to do it more. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't like this? I'm going to get really good at it, you know? And so the mentality, which I think is relevant to talk about the mentality of, I I'm going to stand up to this challenge. This is what a lot of people went through. So whether you were an older father who was 40 and was coming back to surfing, or you were of these sort of like small group of young kids, boys and girls, not a lot of people doing it, but we're up for the challenge was, I can surf as well as you can on your shortboard. So that's what really drove when you guys were talking about this high performance versus traditional. Unless you were just like some core Lord underground guy that collectible boards and there, and there are those people that get mm-hmm. left out of the story often. There's a few at Malibu, a few at Wind and Sea, a few at PB Point, a few up in Santa Cruz, over in Hawaii, I'm sure in Australia, mm-hmm. I'm sure in France. A couple in New York even. Yeah, let's just say all over the place yeah. there were these creedlers that were even next level of what I'm talking about, an even bigger middle finger, which is like, <laughs> you guys are such kooks, you don't even know how cool I am because I'm so <laughs> off the grid. It's like if you're if you're into riding holes, th- these are people that are like next level hole riders, like <laughs> you know, smoking grits and scoffing at everybody and. <laughs> But that wasn't, there weren't many of those people. It was more of like, hey, these longboards are back. They're this modern twist to them. Guys like Takayama, Stuart, Walden, Ben Ipa, Robert August. You know, there's a long list of people yeah. that are making these boards. And apologies to anyone who's not in the list, because when you make a list, someone gets left off. Of course. Um, but that's just an example of like, there's a lot of these boards there. So being a young person riding that or older, you want to be able to stand up to the criticism that like, you know, y'all, you're just going straight. So that's what really drove that idea of I'm going to rip the board. It was this, the, the end goal was acceptance. Yeah. And I just, I think that's just interesting. Does it really matter? Not really. But when people wonder like, well, why, why were people trying to shortboard their longboard? And where did, where did this idea of traditional lines come in? And Joel Tudor gets credit with popularizing the idea, but he was far from the first person to do that. He's just the first person sort of documented yeah. in a mainstream sense. And he became a voice for that. But well, it's, it's interesting. Like I always remembered, you know, like watching journey to the impact zone, you know, and Jonathan Paskowitz 
you know, and, and Izzy also, like, they were very progressive on their longboards and they were doing airs as well on shortboards. They were kind of, kind of radical. And there was definitely sure. like you, you throw in Herbie Fletcher as well. And then Christian and Nathan, you know, what they were doing on the shortboard, it was almost like, I don't know. Like, I feel like there was some sort of push against the establishment there with what they were doing, uh, in mm-hmm. surfing, maybe, I don't know. Like that, that to me, like definitely was that mid eighties time period. There was like a con con confluence of events. You know, you had this nostalgia coming in the eighties. Like I remember like the mid eighties was like, there was an infatuation with old America in the early sixties, particularly, you know, you saw it in lots of pop culture. I mean, you had back to the future, you know, like there was, uh, back to the beach, uh, you know, endless summer was released on VHS in like 1984. And it was the top selling VHS tape, you know, for surfing for years, Uh, you know, so there was like, obviously this nostalgia happening there, but then there was something where people wanted to kind of push that too, it seems. Um, I don't know, like, you know, like you said, you wanted to surf it as good as the short borders and, and kind of get that acceptance. Sure. Yeah. And that, I think that mentality, um, remained for quite a long time and things that continue to support and prop that up would be the longboard magazines of the time, some of the videos that came out. And of course, competition comes in because even though if you don't care about competition, it is part of the conversation because um, magazines and videos cover that. So like, you know, you start getting that input and that idea of the short or longboard thing was reinforced continuously by competition side of things. So at some point, I'm not here to speak for Joel, but um, and again, I'm going to say it over and over. There were other people doing what Joel was doing, but yeah. Joel was a really strong voice for that and does deserve a lot of credit for really kind of breaking through that wall and get and really getting that conversation going and then putting his whole sort of life behind that, you know? Nat um, Young, I mean, he ran the, 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 the ASP World Longboard Tour. I mean, he basically, you know, put the, the you know, the judging criteria together Mm-hmm. And he still, and he also competed and won it because <laughs> he felt he he needed to show people what that was. Uh, by you know, he was almost like the metric, you know, that they everyone gauged against for that competition. He set himself up in that way, um, but then he also took Joel under his wing. You know, it it was interesting, like how a lot of the these you know uh, legendary characters like Donald and. Nat and you know a lot of these people took Joel under under their wings and almost sure. like kind of gave him a platform. How how much how much like what like you you knew Donald very well uh, and you spent a lot of time with him. Like what was his thoughts on it all? Was he did he did he see this resurgence coming? Did he, you know, and how did he view like someone like Joel and his not just his style, but like was he like, oh, this kid 
is going to have a huge influence on surfing. Yeah. I mean, there's a, that's a, not an easy one to answer because there's a lot to that question. There's, um, Donald was very much at the sharp point of that resurgence thing that's brought up a million times. Um, that's kind of an old story to me because I've, I've heard and read about it a million times, but for people that are new that of your listeners, um, you know, in the eighties and nineties, Donald was the best, you know, arguably, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. the best longboard shaper around in in the modern sense. And he was doing very well before Joel. He was doing his business was quite, you know, strong. David Nueva was around, still mm-hmm. kind of made a comeback. Dale Dobson yeah. uh, was around, and there were a number of other local characters. Um, when Joel joined the team, he was recruited by Donald, who saw him at the club events, probably at the Oceanside Longboard Contest probably saw Joel at the Life's of Beach event when he was 13. He was one of the youngest, if not the youngest ASP competitor in history. Mm-hmm. Might have been 14. I can't remember. Um, and um, Daisy Fuentes was the, uh, <laughs> she had, like, was on the, I remember the show and interviewed him. It was, everyone couldn't believe it. It was like, oh my God, he's talking to Daisy Fuentes. And um he was riding for Walden at the time. And so he was recruited. And I think when those two came together, it's very similar. I don't think it's a stretch, um, at least from the idea, like when Kelly came together mm-hmm. with Al Merrick. Right. I think it, it created a, a level of excitement and so many things happened as a result. The, the design collaboration of those two is just on both of those examples is incredible. And I think from a business standpoint, and I know this isn't about business, but yeah, it took both of those um, brands into like another level and is why we're sort of, they're endearing to most of us because they're like your favorite band, you know, and you can remember those things that, that were created by them. Mm-hmm. You know, you had that album or in our case, you had that model surfboard that those two put together. And so Joel was an integral part of that revolution and renaissance um now when it comes to that early years joel was very much on the two plus one which is when you have the large center fin Mm -hmm. and the large side bite side note on that i did get a note from matt biolis uh when i used the term two plus one he asked me well what isn't that a twin fin with a small trailer and i'm like look i don't make the rules i like, <laughs> i'm just parroting what was you know said some maybe somebody out there knows the reason I, I wish donald was still with us i think he would be a great person to ask that question gosh yeah but um as far back as i can remember you know 80s 90s boards had the little side bites and the larger center fin and and i write a lot of eggs or you know, mid lengths, depending which term you like to use. Um, fun boards, fun, fun boards, boards uh, <laughs> hybrids, mid lengths, whatever they're called. Um, I love that two plus one setup. It's insane. It's a, you know, and, and that's the thing with longboard surfing during this, this whole conversation is it's sort of like, it's toggling back and forth with like what it wants to be. Like, mm. does it want to be this like intersection of the best of the old and the best of the new? And I think that's where a lot of the 80s and 90s longboarding was hoping to go. Right. 
And I think where they miss the mark, when I say they, I mean the collective whole through media, movies, contests, and your everyday folks that are just shredding down at the beach. Um, where, where I think it fell short was the application of the surfing. And right. so what I mean by that is if you, if you, if you look at the surfing of Nat Young and in, in the eighties during that era you described when he was, you know, mid eighties to the early nineties, right. Nat Young was riding boards that were kind of pretty, you know, not, not super modern, but they would be considered a modern longboard. They had some rocker, they had some tucked edge. At times he rode a single fin, at times he did ride a two plus one. But the way he rode them, the dance, if you will, on the board was in line with the traditions of longboard surfing. So that is the style, grace, composure, finesse. And I think we're in large part that the, the, the overall majority of the world where, where maybe they, we kind of got off track and why there's been so much criticism I think the you know the large amount of criticism of longboard surfing is in the application, the way it's written, mm. where you're emu, emu, sort of emulating or going after the um, posturing, the movements right. of a shortboard surfer. So a traditional surf uh, longboard surfer is going to be more upright, and the upper arms and the upper body is quiet. Is quiet mm -hmm. when you're doing the high performance sort of shortboard style longboard, you're, you're sort of not squatted, but you're bending into your knees and you're more into the lower body and the butt's kind of sticking out a little bit, the posterior things kind of right. out and the arms are moving, kind of flapping. And <laughs> I, I hate to be like, sound like really biased here, but I would, I would, I would say flailing. Yeah. And, and I think that the attraction to longboard surfing that in, and this is proven by, modern data and metrics which i would argue is i you know sorry this is going to sound really gross but instagram this. youtube yeah. you take all the views and for any anybody who's into metrics of any kind um you can have an opinion and then you can have like well what is the what is the data what is it backed up with well a lot of people are responding really well to traditional longboard surfing well i want let's look into that why is why do people like it Mm -hmm. And well, I think I would ask the same question of why do why do people like music, and like mm -hmm. why is it certain types of music really get a great response? You know, like and people feel something. Why does certain art get a great response? And longboard surfing falls more into art, dance kind of thing, and I and and that's why I think it's a totally different pursuit and different experience than shortboard surfing they don't need to be exclusive of one another if you're someone who wants to do both i think you could obviously like rock and roll and classical music just like right. what mode are you in and um longboard like traditional surfing itself i think um to, to kind of help bring together what we're talking about it's not that it's better than riding it like a shortboard i just think that the large majority of people really feel something with it. And so fast forwarding to more recent times, I'd say the last decade, you've seen the shortboard style falling out of favor mm -hmm. in, in the global sense. And 
I, it is not dead. There are a lot of people that ride high performance longboard. And, and if you look at a company like Firewire yeah. or Thunderbolt, they sell a lot of those style of boards. I know because I've seen the sales reports. It's yeah. really interesting. And it's like, okay, well, who's, I wonder who's buying those boards. Because when I look at the lineups of Southern California and I see a longboard out, I got to say at least half or more of the boards are on a traditional single fin. You Interesting. Know, obviously that's not, there's no science here. Like I'm just, yeah. just from no, some search a lot. Of like course. I don't see in, but in the nineties, you'd almost hardly see a single fin longboard. It was quite rare, you know, yeah. and you, um, I'm sort of jumping all over the place. No, here, no, so I'm I, really I, enjoying this. I, I might've had a couple cups of coffee today and it's still carrying <laughs> over it's you it's four o'clock for me and seven for you but um the the film the seedling which you guys um covered i, I don't know how much in depth you covered but you, you did you know sort of mention and give it as credit as a piece of the story and yeah. um i think someone like thomas was attracted to this sort of like fringe thing that was going on and this guy, Joel Tudor, and these other people that were in Thomas's film, why, why are they doing this? Is this just like a bunch of like a rock, like rockabilly kids that are just into like 50, you know, five Chevys and quaffed <laughs> hair? Are these people suffering from the disease of nostalgia? Yeah. Um, and I think that was interesting to him. And I do think that there is a piece of nostalgia that's in this thing, but I think that, that, that would be like sort of belittling the story. It's like, no, it's, it's not about nostalgia. It's about there's certain types of music and certain types of art that have a timeless nature to them. And as new generations of people come, they find this stuff right? and they feel that it's worth preserving. And I think that's really when people are like, well, who cares about traditional longboarding? It's just so boring. These freaking people are going straight and staying on the nose. Yawn fest. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, that's a, that's obviously an opinion, but but this is a lifestyle and a pursuit that people want to like. What do people want to do after work or on the weekend? They're they're not interested in 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 three to the beach and blowing tail and riding a shortboard. And does that mean shortboarding is lame? Not at all. It's just that. It doesn't speak to a lot of people and longboard surfing is something that they can identify with and feel and like certain song and dance that goes back for hundreds of years in our culture. Like even if you're not into ballroom dancing or tango or that stuff, I guarantee if you went down to your local pub and that was playing, you, you would just be like, whoa, there's something like what is going on here and I can't put my finger on it. But <laughs> There's some connection to, there's like a deep connection to the human experience. And I think that's what, I think that's what's special about longboard surfing and why it fits into this conversation in our culture. Like, why should we care about it? Where does it have a place? Shortboard surfing is sport. It's the highest level of performance and it's exciting. And it's, it's just like beyond, it goes so beyond what we think is capable of, of being human that it's a spectacle and it's like, shit, I have to watch this. And then on the other end, and I'll let you jump in yeah. on the other end is like, God, there's this longboard thing that is just so calm and peaceful. And I just feel so good about it. 
can I have both in my life? Do I have to have one or the other? Well, I would say there's something about relatability too. Like I watch the Pro Tour, watch the WSL, and I watch Idolo surfing or Felipe surfing, and I'm thoroughly impressed, and it's amazing. I can't relate to it, though. I don't know what that would feel like, the maneuvers that they do. I don't know what a Air 360, uh, you know, six feet above a wave is going to feel like. So it's almost impossible for me to relate to that. But to longboarding particularly, it's very relatable to people. It's something attainable too. Like you can, you know, you may never get to the level of Joel Tudor, but you can identify with what he does. You can see him do a turn and identify with it. And I think there's something to that. Uh, in terms of relatability and attainability that we can strive for as an average human being. And not, not to say that what they, what Joel and, and, you know, and all the incredible longboarders like Al and, you know, what they do and Cassie, like it's super technical and super refined, but it's also like, I can kind of see myself doing something like that at least. Whereas, going, you know, riding or riding even Jaws or, or Nazare, like I can't relate to it. It's a spectacle. Like you said, it's something you can watch, but I can't relate to that. But longboarding I can relate to and I can really enjoy and get into. And yeah. I think that and plus like conditions for people around the world very rarely get that good. Yeah. And longboarding is the, the equipment of choice sure. for most places around the world to surf. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it has a place. And, um, I think what's been interesting to watch during that eighties and nineties is why, um, people were so upset about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, what, like, what is right and wrong? And like, should I be telling you what to do with your life? These ideas of freedom and choice and all these things totally played out in surfing. <laughs> It was just hilarious because surfing is supposed to be about people that are anti-establishment, right? that are all about freedom, that are about exploration. But when something that comes in that isn't part of the, the, the norm, holy moly, people freak out. And, and we do it with more than that. We've done that with, with SUPs. We've done it with foils and, and, and David leashes and a lot of it. A lot of the <laughs> criticism is, is, is probably worthy of it. Um, and I don't know that longboarding deserves some entirely like huge hall pass, because if you look at what the, like, we like to talk about, don't violate cultural norms. You know, there's something going on big in our culture right now that we don't need to talk about that people yeah. are worried about violating and pushing against a norm. Well, when the longboard thing came back in the eighties and nineties, the, there was a lineup of sort of, a, you know, 12, 15 years of like a supremacy of like this type of thing was happening only. I, I'm not, <laughs> no one else is allowed at the table, like the lunch table here. Like, and, but what, you know, couldn't be denied is that when a lot of people saw like, that's something that I could identify with. That's what I want to do. They start ordering those boards. The numbers have become overwhelming. What has been sort of interesting to watch, I guess, be a fly on the wall, or in, in my case, be mm -hmm. part of it, is 
the broader conversation of being um, like longboard surfing being denied, you know, like I worked at surf magazines. I know all this stuff. And the, you know, just like in media today, like the media that we all watch is owned by a handful of people and they have a point of view that they want you to have and you're going to get their point of view, whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on politically. There's, there's a small amount of people that own the conversation. And that's why like YouTube and social media is good and bad. It freaks people out, but it also liberates people. Um, with longboard surfing, there was like really nowhere to go. Like there wasn't, um, there wasn't really a home at Surfer and Surfing, which really dominated the conversation. So you had people like Herbie Fletcher make films, you know, which mm -hmm. was like right on, you know, and I, I was lucky enough to be in some of those films. He took me on my first surf trip when I was wow. a young kid, got to learn the ropes from him. It was so cool. And then there was Longboard Magazine that had come out and, um, you know, looking back on Longboard Magazine, I, it, it wasn't the coolest looking thing. I think it could have been hipper and edgier. Mm -hmm. But it was something. Um, Chris Bystrom had a magazine yeah. that's still running uh, as an answer to that. There was, you know, a couple other ones that came and went. Um, but those started, and the reason they exist um, is because they weren't part of that conversation. And, like, the same thing happened in the competition world. It was, like, the, the shortboard surfing dominated, and maybe rightfully so. But the people writing the checks were endemic brands and they had a particular point of view and a lot of the people that ran the surf companies hated longboarders for one easy reason they caught too many waves you know and i think that that's a that's that's just a reality that both sides of this conversation have to be honest about they're a wave hog machine you know and, and talk about a buzzkill it's like you're sitting out there on a shortboard and some super unlike super not self-aware people come out on a longboard and just ruin your day. That sucks, you know? <laughs> and, and that behavior, um, I think is the exact reason why longboard surfing was not allowed to be part of the conversation at the ASP then now the WSL today. And the legacy of that is still felt through today, you know, of like, Hey, fuck you guys. Like, you took all the waves. You can suck it now. Like we're not including you in this stuff. <laughs> and so longboarding for a long time, just sort of like, it was, it's weird. It was like more people ride longboards. There's more sales that has proved been proven for decades. We don't even need to go there. We know yeah. that it's anyone with <laughs> eyeballs knows that's the fact. Absolutely. So why would I look to brands and competition? Is it just a bunch of surf dudes from wherever, or I'm going to, I'm going to generalize from Orange County, you know? Yeah. And, um, what happened is that, that over time culturally gave rise to other people to go, you know what? Well, we can, if you don't want to tell the story, we will, you know, there's like cool little brands that have started around that and start including that, you know, I think bands to their credit saw that as an opportunity. Um, Joel Tudor himself ended up starting the duct tape how long ago 15 years ago I, yeah. I don't even know it was the first one in new york i i, I don't even remember it's montauk been... yeah it's like uh, almost almost 15 years ago maybe a little bit less but yeah yeah and like so why did that happen that that's because the asp at the time 
on the competition side, again, like we'd said earlier, like is competition that important? A lot of people don't care about it, but I think it's worth noting that it does shape the culture. It is mm -hmm. where big moments kind of happen performance wise. And we can use those performance moments in competition to sort of benchmark our lives, you know, of like, just like in shortboard surfing, we remember those big moments, oh, you know, right. Aki and the skins, uh, yeah. you know, you can name all these different moments that help us contextualize our lives and the development of our experiences. And, and it's still true with longboard surfing. And so Joel wasn't seeing the love at the ASP. And he, he, had, he had a completely different point of view of the way it was being judged. And the judges were shortboard judges. So they were <laughs> primarily, and like to no fault of their own, that's what they know, you know? And so if no one's at the helm, if no one's saying, hey, you guys are amazing judges, but there's a lot of nuance in longboard surfing. You know, it's just like if you're a breakdancing judge, but now I'm going to have you come over and judge Foxtrot, but you don't know the first thing about Foxtrot. How are you going to judge that? That's imp like, that's a pretty gnarly task, I think. And so that's where a lot of those issues were. And, and Joel went and started the duct tape. And I think culturally it was cool for young people to see that because it was a place to showcase high level longboard surfing. And those environments get people to push themselves mm -hmm. and push their surfing because without a goal, without something to push us, I think performance doesn't go to that next level. And again, there's lots of people who could be listening going, I don't give a shit. I just go surfing on the weekend so I could sneak a beer down and, and get, you know what I mean? Just like yeah, yeah. have fun and have a sandwich and like to hell with your, your competition. But I do think it's always worth including in the conversation because it, it the development of design and, and like, wow, I'd never seen anyone do that maneuver before. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go and try and do that myself this weekend. So the competitions it, 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 are where they cross pollinate, you sure. know, that's also, you know, like that on one way, level, the, the, the revival of longboarding was from competitions though, or the club competitions. And they were cross pollinations of, of styles and ideas and boards and, you know, and, 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 you know, the culture too. I think that's, that's where I think duct tape was really, vital and also really important and where the WSL kind of missed, you know, in ASP, particularly the ASP, like missed the mark on what it, what was so special about longboarding. It's not so much the competition itself. It was the gathering of the people and that lifestyle that came with it. I think that's what's so appealing to everyone. Surfing is a lifestyle sport. And that they're yeah, missing out. Yeah, it's on. all the stuff happening around. That's where the jokes are happening. P people are laughing and having a good time. And, and that's something you can relate to, even if you don't give two craps about someone putting on a jersey and getting points for it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there was a, oh, I forgot the name of the competition now. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it where, like, you had to, you know, Donald had to, like, drink a beer, you know, each heat. You got drunker and drunker, you know, yeah. as he got along in the competition. It was, more about fun and and enjoyment as opposed to you know who's the best you know and and um and i think that's what made it so much fun and, and relatable to people too anyone could participate in that you didn't yeah. have to be the top tier yeah absolutely i think that was it was called stone steps event yes and um that's quite a classic and 
you know, but the influence of longboarding is, is not through competition. It's, it's through the experience and it's through how it just makes people feel as cheesy as that sounds, you know, it sounds like a Hallmark <laughs> card. Um, you know, people, they work really hard all week and they have a lot of challenges and with their families and, and all the things that are thrown at us. And for those few hours, um, you get to, uh, to disconnect from that and to disquiet things in, in life that are noisy. And I think longboarding complements that vibe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I'm not here to sell anybody on anything. I'm just trying to describe like how it fits into our life. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, shortboarding is amazing too. It's just, a, it, it operates at a different vibration. And if that's your jam, shit, by all means, go for it. You know, like, like Dane Reynolds, I, I think it was on like an acid test, something on stab. Yeah. He's like, I just want to, I just want to like thrash, you know, like that's when he goes to surf. He's not trying to ride a little hole and struggle and groove. Like I just want to go out and just, just destroy, you know, and like that's his vibration and that's fun for him. And again, a lot of other people are like, well, that seems like a lot, that seems like a lot of work. And I don't even know if I can get to my feet still. (laughs) Do, Do you, I want to go back a little bit like the, in the split of like performance longboarding and regular longboarding was that, that kind of fracture in the community, was it felt or was it more manufactured? Cause I remember as a, as a kid in New York reading and seeing the magazine and seeing like Joey Hawkins and Joel Tudor going for a world title and also competing like at the U S open. And to me, it was like, a clash of ideas of like the future of longboarding almost to me. Like that's how I, I viewed it from afar. Um, you know, it really felt like it was a clash of ideas and, and, you know, what direction to take uh, longboarding. In some well, ways. it was, it was very real. It wasn't manufactured. I think look in the same way in, in the clash of conservatism mm-hmm. and progressivism, I'm not here to say which one is better. I'm just giving it as an example that those are two very different ideas and there's, there's sort of approaches and policies that come with those. Right. And with Mm -hmm. the, the, the huge disagreement in the longboard community, which is, it it was primarily driven by competition, that conversation and the magazine supported, but the same conversation was happening on the tailgates of people's trucks at San Onofre <laughs> or La Jolla Shores or, you know, over at Noosa or wherever, you know, and um, the the difference of that is do we, okay, so if you're on a, a, a progressive idea and high performance longboarding was a progressive surfing concept and if, you know, putting that hat on, you're, you're, reason for going down that path was surfing has always been about looking forward. Okay. I get it. I'm on a longboard. That is a bit of a throwback idea, but all we're doing is we're taking the best of the old and we're combining it with the best of the new and we're incorporating the rocker and the rail and the lighter materials. 
and we're and we're embracing the new lines of how to ride the board and the critics of that are saying well that's just like a b or a c version of the really good idea which is to just ride a short board that's like the mm -hmm. best version of that idea you're you're embracing something that's like two or three levels down it doesn't have all the bells and whistles don't don't get it and then on the traditional like side the reason i use conservatives because they're yeah. conservatives are typically like into embracing tradition and not throwing right. out the norms or like kind of rejiggering things continuously to make a better like what they would believe is a better future the traditionalists are like well there are pieces of it that were pretty amazing. And like, why did we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like right. we could make incremental changes, but not drastic changes. You know, we could fine tune the boards a little bit, but, but hold the traditions and the foundation and the sort of like social fabric of surfing being this idea of these like clean lines and grace and style and beauty. And so to answer your question, it was a very real thing. I think, you know, it was kind of this, like, what sort of future do we want? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think it just became a stalemate. Yeah. Like our politics are, it's <laughs> like, there's a slight <laughs> pendulum swing, you know? But the reality is, is that most people are sort of in the middle and, you know, these like sort of fringe people are dominating the conversation. But like a lot of sensible people are like, dude, who cares? You do. You want to ride it like a shortboard? Go for it. It doesn't hurt me. And the same with like a traditional thing where the real battle, I think, where the real tension is, is when, and I'm sorry, we keep going back to it, yeah. is when money's on the line or a yeah. title. Now, all of a sudden, these the, the differences of these ideas start to get amplified and become seemingly more important. When the reality is, is they're not that important. This is a this is a pointless exercise. Surfing is completely not important and pointless, right? Right. Like like you and I take it seriously. People listening take it seriously. Like, what do you what do you mean? That's that's my identity. You're saying it's like, but it's like, well, dude, we're not we're not, we're not saving, saving an the asteroid world. from hitting <laughs> yeah. the planet. Like, we're not <laughs> stopping a nuclear war. We're going out and selfishly having me time. So it's not yeah. that important. I don't know. I'm getting a little lost here. No, no I, I think, well, for me, it's like, I guess I can understand like the professionals and why they would feel like there's so much at stake. I can understand why Joel would be so vocal against the performance side and why someone on the performance side, you know, would be more vocal against Joel because they're vying for, uh, they were at the time at least vying for space in the magazine. Uh, they were vying for sponsorship dollars. They're trying to make a living out of it. So, you know, it's it's a little bit of their meal ticket, too, that they're fighting over. Um, so I can understand why one side or the other would would try to make a case for their style of surfing. I mean, you you know, for a while there, Jeff Kramer was dominating the pages, sure. uh, you know, with with his surfing and his red flamed, you know, Stewart. Doing airs um, and hitting the lips and totally more than Joel was getting uh, a photo of him just standing gracefully and God like you know Joel was forced also to share a cover of Surfer magazine they took a cover away from him because a certain uh, advertiser was unhappy with that you know that was like 
You mean from what I've heard, rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly which advertiser was not happy, but that that yeah. is true. Um, and you know, I was I was around for all these conversations, man, and and I. I, I competed a lot on the ASP stuff and there was a period from, I think, 2000, one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. where the ASP went from one, uh, one event a year. Cause that was their sort of the bone. They like, Oh, you yeah. freaking guys, uh, we'll give you the one event. You're so annoying. God, just go away. Um, and we did these couple years where there were multiple events and we'd go to these surfers meetings and I'd say 80, 90% of the field was of the uh, high performance sort of progressive mind. Right. And a very small number were of the traditional. I personally, I I was more of the hybrid sort of moderate model, Mm -hmm. which was, and that's always how I've kind of been my whole life is like, I'm on the fringe, but I'm also kind of balanced, you know, and like, I'm looking at it going, okay, if, if, if this world is really rewarding that high performance thing, I can ride some equipment that's kind of like that, but I'm going to take the Nat Young approach, which is the application, which we talked about earlier. Right. And, and I think that approach is where we're at now today, which is totally not just going straight and nose riding only that's boring right or yeah. or not even being able to turn your board just doing these weak little pivots the the wisdom was there from that young and, I, and to me he's sort of the north star right like i totally. i see his surfing that regardless of the equipment it's how you're riding it and so in those meetings it was a small group of us that were like god it you know guys just putting raising their hand in the meeting no one cares about the, that we're shortboarding the longboard. It's not that interesting. It, it's just a, a C grade shortboarding. That, yeah. That got some booze. Uh, that didn't go over too well. And, <laughs> you know, Joel, Joel was, would say this in the meetings over and over. They're like, oh, you just want a nose riding contest. And it's, it was just like practically like tomatoes being thrown at each other. It was unbelievable. Wow. Like, and, and, in the end, longboard surfing really didn't get anywhere because people, the, the group of surfers couldn't get on the same page. Like they just literally couldn't do it. And it's just like, again, just reminds me of our politics today. It's like we can't, people can't find the middle ground. The answer was in the middle. The answer was, yeah, we shouldn't be riding it like a shortboard. But we shouldn't be dictating what you ride. We should have a criteria in the surfing that rewards style, grace, um, control. Uh, critical sections, you know, nose riding, not out on the face yeah. and with the giant space between your feet, but like really doing all these things in the right way and let you guys figure out the equipment. But this is the surfing we're going to reward, which is it's, it's a beautiful dance. And like, if you don't like that and you think that's lame, no worries. That's what shortboard surfing is for. Like <laughs> that exists. Like you can go rip the bag out of it. And apparently you don't even need to have style in shortboard. Like just watch any WSL event. Style's not yeah. part of the criteria, no. Which I think is a mistake, but that's Absolutely. a whole other conversation. I know. You know, thankfully, people <laughs> that's like another episode. You know, like John, John, and I guess Ethan Ewing, and some other people are like, you know, in 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 more recent times, like Parkinson and mm-hmm. Mick. Like those guys brought, even if you didn't care for their style, they did bring a style and flow that was nice to, it was pleasing to the eye. Yeah. Um, and in the longboard world, if I think the answer was always there, which was like, if you just look at how you're riding the board 
that changes this whole conversation. But I do think if you want to pull it up to today at all is like I, uh, for a few years, I did help the World Surf League. Um, I think it was four years ago, I got a call from Wingnut. It's like, hey, the WSL wants to try to fix this longboard mess for once and for all, you know, like, <laughs> because for years you had people um, that were riding riding it as, as a shortboard and were being rewarded for it. And they're very good at it. These are people that yeah. I, I, I consider friends and I like and respect them. And they're just doing the kind of surfing that the ASP or WSL was saying, hey, this is the way to reward it. And, but it wasn't going anywhere and it hadn't been going anywhere for decades. It was people were making fun of it. Meanwhile, the rest of the world, as, as I said earlier, Instagram, YouTube, and all this was really loving what uh, Alex Nuss was doing or Harrison Roach and all these sorts of young people, Jared Mel, and a, mm -hmm. a whole list of young people that were doing these really just beautiful surfing. Um, the kind of surfing I was enjoying and doing myself really loved it. And um, the owners of the WSL had been hanging out and getting lessons and doing stuff with Wingnut. I think Wingnut doesn't get enough credit for this, but he really is very passionate about that kind of surfing, traditional surfing. Yeah. And he was able to convince the owners that, look, I think you guys should invest in this. And so they said, yeah, let's do it. Like instead of one event, we've got a couple events. Right. And they asked me like to get involved and I, did you I, want to jump I, in there? I was just going to say, like, Wingnut is probably one of the most important figures in this story of the revival of, of modern longboard longboarding. You know, I mean, Endless Summer 2 had such a huge impact, I think. And he was front and center. And how many Robert August boards were sold, you know, after Endless Summer 2? It was amazing. I couldn't, my dad's shop, we couldn't keep those boards yeah. in stock. We were was on always a single fin too. <laughs> yeah. He was you know, on a single fin. He was on a single fin and he was stylish and, uh, yeah. you know, and then he, he promoted, did so many movies and, and, you know, worked with like Dana Brown on a bunch of stuff and narrated and was such a huge ambassador to, sure. for the sport. Uh, you know, I, and God, like he was also at surf tech, which, you know, regardless of how people feel about it, but, he was able to give a lot of a lot of older shapers, you know, a bit of a retirement, you know, or some cushion, some money sure. for the work they sure. did. So, I mean, God, like that guy deserves so much more credit than he gets, I think. And yeah, I mean, I he's think he, really he, key figure. He is. And he's been, you know, he's obviously been front and center in a lot of things. But but I think the point you're making is behind the scenes, he's also put together a lot of cool things. And when he like. He's 100% the reason I got involved because when he asked me like, Hey, would you want to help the WSL bring this tour to life and like fix it so that they're not shortboarding, longboarding? I said, absolutely not. I do not want to work there. That just sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> and I'm like, everyone's going to hate me. I'm going to want to have to get in fights because people are going to be pissed that they can't shortboard their longboard. Like, dude, this just sounds like so horrible. He's like, no, no, no. Like, you got to do it. And he like, he didn't give up. He gave, he called me back a few times and I'm like, and he's relentless. And so I, I caved in and it ended up being a great idea. I'm glad I did it. And it was a lot of fun and we dug in and, and we just focused on, on 
you know, turning around any business that's just sort of struggling. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter what the competition site looks like. Um, there's a lot of things that don't matter. The only thing that matters are the waves and the judging, you know, and yeah, some of the breaks weren't ideal, but some were, you know, Noosa was great. Some of the other ones weren't, but over a few years, we finally got to finish at Malibu. And that's like, as Scott that's Bass would say, the waves are the stars. He says it like every podcast he's on. And, and, <laughs> and I like to make fun of that, but he's absolutely correct. The waves are the stars. And so um, I just recently stepped down from that role because I feel that I was able to achieve the goal, which was like, hey, let's fix the judging. Let's get it up and running. It's not honestly my life's passion or work yeah. to be like super psyched on surf competition. I'm, I've always got one foot in and one foot out. You know, like I wrote a post on this a couple months back when Joel and Honolulu won their world titles. I was just very candid. I was like, look, I kind of struggle. Like I've been part of this stuff, but I'm like, does the world really need longboard competition? I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. If it was really that important to us, it feels like it'd be a lot further along and a lot bigger than it is. But at the same time, I'm, I took on the challenge because I did look back in my own life and some very pivotal uh, formative moments come from being parts of these things. That's from meeting people to catching one of the biggest waves of my life at Haleiwa because I was forced to surf in a competition where the waves were like four <laughs> times over our head. Thanks a lot, Randy Rarick. Uh, <laughs> at the Bear Haleiwa invitation was fucking huge and I was shitting my pants and like, I would have never done that. And so like there's 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 moments that not only form my experiences or benchmarks of of moments in my life, but those around me. I saw some incredible things happen that I'll never forget. And if your there wasn't deus, a competition uh, nine foot single, come on, your oh, deus yeah. nine foot single win. But, that'd oh, be that's that right. must forgot, have been amazing. That. that was super cool. Like 40-year-old desk jockey, like 20 pounds overweight. Like I got an invite to go to this event in Bali. It's like, oh, you got to ride a, a single fin longboard. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go do like a seven day, like quick vacation. Who cares? Like if I, and I yeah. ended up going all the way through and winning against all these kids. And I mean, that was just so much fun. So like those moments are like, I'll never forget that. And I think that's the same for everyone who's involved. And I think for the viewer for like, you're not in these things. Why should you care? It's like, you might actually see something you've never seen before. You know, like I saw Honolulu Bloomfield get a 10 because she switched dance in a barrel and got a super long nose ride. And like people are cheering for that. Like, that's cool. Like those are things that 10, 15 years, we can remember that. Is it super like the most important thing? Absolutely not. But it does sweeten life. I think it does enrich our lives. And so the competition thing, it was fun to be a part of it. Um, I hope that they carried on. I know Joel's going to continue to do his duct tape events. And yeah. so for anyone listening, you know, like, Hey, check out some of these longboard events. I think there is something you can get out of it culturally that can add to your life and put a smile on your face. But certainly it's not, you know, it's not a life or death thing. You know, if it all went away tomorrow, we'd be okay. We'd still, we'd still surf. Well, that's, I th I feel like with the competition also, it's just how, how it's packaged too. Like, it's, you, you know, like I can't imagine them making a make or break series about a long, the longboard tour. 
like, you know, and, and getting all serious and having dramatic music, <laughs> you know, can you imagine? Like, <laughs> I think that'd be, that'd be called a buzzkill. <laughs> you know, but the way like the dais, you know, nine foot and single was shot and videoed and, and presented was stunning and exciting and riveting, you know, and the way duct tape, you know, when it came to New York, the duct tape in Rockway, it was so cool because all these, all the local kids and all the local surfers got to surf their heroes and hang out with them. And they were all super cool. And Vans did a phenomenal job of including the community, you know, and when you, when you guys came to New York, you too, like you helped bring a lot of the community together. And I think those are, those are where it's important, you know, and that's where the competition is important. Maybe like, like we said, the cross pollination and the, and the getting the people together the the actual winners and losers is you know is almost secondary. Yeah, it's not that important. It's not that important. Yeah. So, but I think um, it's they're like we we could sort of summarize those things as like they're happening. It's like going to a show, you know, for music, and we, we can go and and if you're a spectator, you can be you can be entertained in like a meaningful way that. That's like, okay. Next time I go surfing, I, I want to try to feel that vibe. I'm gonna even if I can't surf like Andy Niebles, like yeah. that that person just inspired me to go and do my best. All right, I'm jumping here. What did you think about when a lot like I was? This is like a question that's been kind of nagging me for a while, and I remember even seeing a lot of it, it was just in the early '90s PSA tour, and they did the longboard events, and you had guys like Ted Robinson, Richie Collins, like all the pro shortboard pros doing the longboard competition. What was that like? Uh, you know, you had Jim Hogan and, you know, all these guys. And it seemed like they were trying, from my perspective, it seemed like they were trying to extend their career somehow. Uh, and I remember there was quite a bit of controversy and I know Joel was a little vocal about it <laughs> also. Yeah, well, <laughs> when is like, he not? There's no, there, obviously, there's no rules against that stuff. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, can you fault these guys? They they were falling off the tour, and it was easy pickings. You know, it was like coming and taking people's lunch money. I mean, yeah. it was like a lot of the longboard surfers were not sort of sophisticated um, competition people. You know, so. They were they were ripe for the picking, and <laughs> Ted Robinson and Jim Hogan, uh, namely those two, um, they came in and just smoked everybody. Um, what they did do is they did expose how weak and how bad the judging criteria was, because you you know here you are going, man, I thought longboarding was about beauty and tying it tying all of this together, and that nuance mattered. Um, it, they exposed that it didn't matter. And so I think that's what the the issue was. And that's why this like ongoing back and forth that we described earlier. Yeah. This this battle of ideas. And all someone had to do was just sort of like take ownership of it. If you just either the ASP gave, you know, the reins to someone like like it's someone like me or a Nat Young or someone's like, okay, I'm the decider. <laughs> this is what we're doing. But no one owned it. It was a hot potato. So it just yeah. sort of languished and went on and on and on. But it, 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 it was funny. It's a funny, but to those guys credit, um, 
you know, Ted Robinson, I, I remember the first time I saw him, he, he could barely hang five. And then a couple of years into it, he started taking it seriously. And the guy's such a phenomenal surfer. Yeah. Um, that he started getting right up there and doing some, some legit nose rides. And so I, I think it's easy to poke fun at those guys, I guess, but they did over time sort of earn their stripes and start embracing it. You know, were they ever, did they ever get to the level of a Joel or a Harrison or those types of people or Quintal? No. And that's why they sort of eventually, you know, they kicked out of it and, they became got stand-up they got, paddlers. They got rep jobs. <laughs> they became, became stand-up paddlers. Became sales reps and made three hundred grand a year. <laughs> They're like later. Exactly. Jeez. <laughs> Let me ask. Like, um, what do you think? Where do you think we would be in terms of performance and what longboarding would look like had the shortboard revolution never happened? Hmm. Like, imagine a world where. They never went to shortboards. Everything just stayed nine foot. Like, do you think, like, do you think that, um, you know, where, what would, what would it look like? Cause you wouldn't then have that shortboard influence. I don't know. Like it's a little thought exercise. I just think there would have been, um, if you can, you know, Tyler Hatzikian and I've had this conversation a lot. And if anyone's familiar with Tyler Hatzikian, yeah his whole point of view on design and everything that he's done was, is this thought exercise that you're doing right now, which is if Tyler said to me numerous times, he's like, yeah, if I just took that line where they were at 1966, Nat Young, uh, Noosa, uh, San Diego, that magic Sam and everything happening around that and just kept that line going where right. would we go? Um, I think you would just see a, a higher, more evolved type of surfing that Nat and those guys were doing. And I think that you are seeing that happen right now in 2022. Right. I think it would look like what it looks like right now if you go to some of the recent WSL events that I've been a part of, because I think that's where we, we, we put that into the criteria was that. Uh, if you go to where Joel's at, you'll hear him say, look, this isn't a nose riding contest. Right. We want to see you using the rail. So there's where it would evolve to is rail surfing. So that's a different, there's a distinction between rail surfing and tail surfing. Mm -hmm. Tail surfing is what shortboard surfing is. You're riding primarily the most of the time that the, the back half or back third of the board is engaged. And you're really riding off the fins. High performance uh, shortboard style longboarding is very much the same. You know, three quarters of the board is out of the water most of the time. Um, the continuing, if we were to continue from 66 to now, it would be traditional longboard surfing. We wouldn't have gone into that tail surfing version of longboard surfing. Mm -hmm. You would see three quarters of the board engaged in the water. Like, if anyone knows the kind of surfing that I like to do, that's, that's where I, where I'm, I'm at. And some of the contemporaries that I look up to or, you know, and vice versa, we're sort of like pushing that type of surfing, which is engaging with the pocket, getting to the nose and nose riding very critically where you're coming. It's, it's almost like this, you know, a good nose ride is similar to a good tube ride. Mm -hmm. If I can see the board poking out way in front, you're probably not in the barrel. You know, you're, 
you'd get tagged at a barrel. And we will be right back. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to our show. The, the difference between um, sort of ra- rail surfing and tail surfing is like you're, you're seeing the board is engaged a lot into the wave. And then it's similar with nose riding. Nose riding is very similar to uh, good tube riding. From the beach, if I can see most of your board is out of the barrel, you're not really getting that barrel. If I can see a lot of your board while you're nose riding, that means you're way out in front of the wave. Yeah. Um, a really good nose ride, a, a lot of the board is sort of buried back in the white water. And to get in that position, if anyone, I know we're not doing surf tips here, but <laughs> to get there, people ask me all the time, what's the best advice you can give on nose riding? It's like, you need to just send it. It's like, if you want to get a good barrel, you need to paddle in and take off behind the peak, right? Like you, you practically have to backdoor wave to get really drained. It's the same with, with a, a nose ride. You have to understand where you are in the lineup, set up that ride, whether it's you coming down the point on a point break and timing hitting that, or if you're at a beach break, making sure that you're taking off a little bit deep and you get to the nose and just sort of send it, have faith in your equipment. And I think, that's where, you know, if we hadn't had shortboard surfing, we'd have this beautiful blend of rail surfing and really critical nose rides, like really just perched up there and, and pushing through it. And we would be in a place where it's neither a nose riding contest or a nose riding only surfing, let's say, or tail riding only. It would be this beautiful blend of both. And it takes us back. To, Matt Young had the answer in the 80s, which was this what he called a 50-50 approach. Mm. And a 50-50 approach was tail, nose, tail, nose, and this dance and this flow to it. And again, that doesn't mean it has to look like a shortboard. You know, and I think right. when, when people hear you talk about being on the, the tail of the board, if you're using the rail of your surfboard, you're engaged in the wave. You're not lifting the board out. You know, if I'm going down the line and I, and I do what I call a windshield wiper floater, which is when you lift the board up out of the water and 
when, when you know like like a windshield wiper does on your windscreen it goes across I and mean, that you, you can see like a, it's almost like shortboards do like a foam climb yeah you know longboards can do that but what that does in in my personal opinion is it breaks the flow of the trim and it slows the ride down i think mm -hmm. a, a perfectly executed longboard ride if, it, if that even matters or is a thing is continuous speed and flow uninter uninterrupted flow just like when you see someone nail that it's like holy shit there wasn't like anything out of place there it was like a perfect floor <laughs> routine you know and gymnastics or dance well i i mean you're surfing is very much like that like like everything all the rail lines connect like it's un it's not broken you know and that's I believe like Matt Warshaw once described what one of the beauties of Tom Kern surfing is it, it looks like one curvilinear thrust is, the, <laughs> you know, it's this one continuous line where it almost looks like the wave was mapped out ahead of time mm. and the rail just and the speed and everything just continued without any break, no hops, no double pumps, just one, one turn, smooth swooping turn after another. And like, I remember watching Joel in uh, Michael Hausman's surf movie at Wind and Sea and just the, cu the cutbacks he was doing and the, the, the amount of board was buried in the wave is just stunning, you know? Yes. And that to me is like what good surfing is, is that, that continuing the rail line all the way through. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that sort of summarizes the kind of quintessential longboard surfing. And so I feel like I believe we're at a point where we don't need descriptors of like traditional and high performance, it's just such mm -hmm. like a tired discussion. Yeah. And the the path forward is, hey, this is just longboard surfing, you know, and there are elements of it that we hold dear and we're going to continue on with. And there are elements of it that we're going to slowly just sort of push forward, you know, and um, me, me personally, I think the other thing too, that, I, that makes beautiful longboard surfing is, is functional surfing, you know, mm -hmm. where it, it, it isn't just like a circus act. I think sometimes no offense to anyone that likes to do all the fancy stuff, but it, you can get a little carried away yeah it's like whoa this is getting really cutesy and like ballerina not, nothing against ballerinas i that, that yeah. probably should no, no, yeah. disparage any ballerinas i like ballet but it it it's just we're throwing in too many things now where there's like this functional type of surfing that's really like exciting to watch and it feels really good when you're doing it it's mm -hmm. like a, you know a good swing on a bat or a golf club is like when you do all those things like we were saying uninterrupted and you're in the pocket of the wave. And that's like where you, you really are pushing things and you're not just beginner boarding, as skin dog would say. Professional <laughs> beginner boarders. <laughs> I love that. Um, I think it's hilarious. He's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, guy. well, you're kind of right. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I feel like, one other thing I feel that longboarding's revival has done also is also open people's mind. And, and this is probably partly to Joel and some of it to Thomas and some of it to Kidman and Derek Hind is the rediscovering of older equipment in general and looking at equipment that was discarded uh, along the, the, the timeline of surfing 
and looking back at those things and rediscovering them and reinventing them today. I mean, I don't think many people would be riding like mid-length eggs, fishes, long fishes, whatnot, without the revival of longboard surfing, I think. I think think those two kind of went hand in hand. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say. And I think the revival was a period a long time ago. And now we're sort of, um, I don't know, what period... (laughs) What period are we living in now? Because it's Revolution, so established. What, what is it? Revolution. <laughs> we're past that. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're in the era of indulgence. That, that we're, yeah. we're getting too comfortable now. So um, no, it's all cool. That all, that all translates into that. And, and um, I just think it's, it's, I feel like slowly now that, that idea of like, that anyone's controlling the narrative of what you you ride is just like evaporating. I think that's so yeah. liberating and it's nice. And now there are young people that are not even going to know what the hell we're talking about. You know, yeah. it's like we literally sound like we're talking about, I, I, I don't want to use the word segregation in an inappropriate way, but like there yeah. was all these different groups, you know, and you guys, you boogie boarders F off, you longboarders are a bunch of, you know what, and it's it it really has changed and you know i i can appreciate the good and bad of all that stuff but i i'd say i prefer now you know it is yeah. nice to go out I, I don't think that that long border should ever underestimate that the that with great power comes great responsibility that's right i think that's like an nra okay thing or something but it's like okay you have uh, this i believe that's weapon. spider-man actually oh was it okay yeah it's spidey's was, uncle it spidey's ben. uncle see i i didn't read comic <laughs> books so i sound like a moron so have fun i'm a marvel that. nerd don't worry but um that is you know that's a great i think a great way to look at it is like this is really awesome but but you know the psa like hey be aware of who's around you man like be cool, you know, and, and don't lose your place in the lineup. It's so easy to do. Um, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, but I'm, I'm always trying to do better with it. You know what I mean, no one's an angel here, but be aware of it. Understand there's a lot of people riding a lot of different things and letting a few waves go by and like look in and like lock eyes with the people so that everyone knows like, Hey, I'm aware you're here. To, to I don't need Al a pat Chapman. on the back, but I'm letting some waves go. I'm aware. To quote Please Al catch Chapman. these waves. <laughs> if Give you a wave. If you don't catch Give these waves wave. going by, I will catch the next set. <laughs> <laughs> Give a wave. They may have a cute sister or brother. You know, you never know. To quote Al Chapman. I was going to say. Surfers yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the um, Al Chapman one. That's from Surfers the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the, that's great. It's what's interesting to me. I had this conversation actually with um, a coworker about a year or two ago. He's younger. He was quite a bit younger of the next generation, younger than me. And I remember talking to him about like music and being like, well, what do you, what, what do you, what do you like? What do kids like? And he's like, well, we, we love all this stuff. You know, we're not one or the other. Whereas I think when we were younger, I don't know about you, but for me, the music defined my personality in some ways. So you'd be like, Oh, I'm a, punk i'm into punk music or i'm into heavy metal or i'm into grateful dead i'm a hippie or i'm into hip-hop so this is and that's all i'm going to listen to and 
I feel like kids today have become much more like, yeah, I just like it. And, and, and the music or whatever it is doesn't have to define them. They can just enjoy all the different types of melodies that are out there. And I think that's the same for surfing. Yeah. Well, I think that's easy to identify what changed there. Uh, we, you know, if you're a Gen X or before you grew up being a specialist, you were yeah. encouraged to be your basketball, you know, not everyone was Bo Jackson, you know, it's like, <laughs> you're, you are a basketball player. You're, you're you those definitely things. showed your age there at that one. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, come on, Bo knows. And, like, <laughs> but see, I was, I was a product of things like that, like Nike marketing, yeah. which was to be specialist, to be, a, to be the best you can be at that thing and work your ass off for that. And I think this isn't like a profound thing to like, I think everyone knows this, but it's like, okay, social media now is about curating this life. And it's, it's way cooler and you look like a more interesting person if you show some depth and range, even if it's complete right. bullshit. But totally. you can create this fantasy and this sort of like, and maybe for some people it's absolutely true, but for a lot of people it's not, you know, and mm-hmm. they've got one, one of the little squares is I'm surfing. The other one is like, oh, I'm bouldering. I'm at an art show. And so surfing is now part of that curation. Um, and, and so uh with that maybe comes the attitude within surfing is like okay i'm just like how i'm kind of want to be a little bit of everything i want to do the same thing with my surfing i'm not going to just be a specialist and so is that good or bad i don't yeah it seems like it'd be I, a good I, thing i think it's it is what it is and i think it's you know i, I mean you know it's good for some people you know it works for them and some for some people i think being a specialist is fun, you know, and being able to focus, you know, mm-hmm. some people can't focus. They need to have lots of th- different things, you know, and who's to say what's good and bad, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, gotta ask when, well, now that you're not doing the WSL, when are we starting the mid length world tour? <laughs> oh man, that'd be so boring. I, I think uh, <laughs> a bunch of like, old people who who are on other smaller beginner boards going straight oh man i don't Tord know Tord martin man let's Come leave on. you and Tord martin uh, i think that's john wayne freeman's wettest dream is to have the uh <laughs> yes. that's like his whole thing i mean he's got his own model as a result even though he's never put on the jersey that's, oh my that's god that's a good move good for him that's uh, hilarious but I, you know what? People say that and I never can tell if they're joking or not. I'm like, I hope you're joking, right? Because, like, I've, you've seen like how kind of much of a fail longboard has been for like decades. Like, they can't even get that right. So, like, can you imagine? Like, <laughs> and look, there's a net, look, he's going completely straight. He's highlining for 50 feet. Oh, look, he's kind of doing a cutback. <laughs> Well, that's partly why I started that Instagram, the Mid-Length World Tour, was yes. to, you know, and I'd make it make a humorous kind of presentation towards it because I think it, it's funny, you know, and it, it, but at the same time, it's quite pleasing to watch. And I mean, God, yeah. like, you know, your your segments in in Tin Ojeda's movies are are pretty freaking beautiful. And oh, thank you. Like something I could watch all day long. You know, it's a, it, 
it's really enjoyable. So I, you know, but yeah, it, it doesn't fit into that format. I think. Well, the mid mid size boards, as as Joel would remind us continuously, is eggs. Um, but he's actually Hard not boiled. totally. He's not accurate there because there's so many yeah. other designs. And for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, you know, a mid length is a catch all term for the boards that aren't short and aren't long. They kind of come in all these different shapes and forms. Yeah. The most common one from the sort of, uh, you know, early, let's just say early 70s would be the egg shape. Yes. Uh, a spinoff in, uh, in parallel world is if you've heard of a hole, that would be one. It's, it's got a different bottom and rail. But those boards live um, really well within the, the, the purview of anyone that longboards. And they're, it's really easy why. Like, a mid-length or an egg or whatever you want to call it, a long fish, complements a longboarder's world really well because of the low rocker. Yeah, You can jump from one to the other and transition to them pretty easily. It is a bigger jump to go from a longboard to a shortboard. You know, if you're young, healthy, and fit and want to challenge, I think you should do it. I think it's good for your surfing overall. If you're not there, um, you know, the, the mid-length, I mean – so in 10 years, are you going to do a, a podcast about the, the mid-length revival? Because Why not? That one's coming sooner than later. It's happening right <laughs> now. I mean, it happened, I think it it happened with the pandemic, you know, like yeah. those boards have been around for a long time. And, and, and I've had people say, that's nothing new here. Those boards. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I've never said that there's nothing new here. I'll just ride them, dude. Like they're fun. Like you can be into it or not. It's really, it doesn't change my life, but like they've always been there. And, and, and per, on a personal level, like, why do I ride them? I was a Donald Takayama team. I was a team rider for 20 some years. And I don't know when it was in the late nineties, I was going on a trip down to the East Cape and I'd seen these egg boards forever that Donald made. They have the little duck on it yeah. where the egg's like broken and there's a duck coming out with a board under arm. And I, I got to be honest, I, I sort of fell under the spell that those boards were kind of kooky, you know, mm -hmm. like fun boards were lame, which is well, ironic because, because I'm on a long board. It's like, I, okay, why am I like snubbing this thing when I'm already on one of the most snubbed boards in history? Um, Donald gave it. He's like, it was a seven six. He's like, just take it on with on your trip, and it 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 was immediate love. Like I was like, what am I thinking? Why haven't I been riding these boards my whole life? I mean, it <laughs> it it pulled together everything that felt right, and it's a it's what I call like long rail surfing, and it's it's very similar to the long board where you've got all this rail, but you have even more rail in the water yeah. when you're doing it properly, and you get one that's foiled and knifey. It's a really beautiful extension of longboard surfing, and, and it's it's appropriate to talk about them in this, I think, yeah. in this conversation because it can enhance your world. Because the longboard is really ideal, like a traditional longboard when it's about shoulder high and under. That's for me, it's like the perfect board. But when it's over shoulder high, I'm I'm six feet one, so imagine shoulder high. It's what that's like a four or five foot wave. If it's head high and over, now we're pushing six, seven feet on the face. It gets to be a little unwieldy, but I jump on that board. I'm transitioning easily because the rocker's yeah. low. Um, I'm able to draw similar lines, but way better, obviously, and more spicy and more critical because I don't have that extra two feet out in front of me that, are, that in, in waves that size would be underutilized. 
Absolutely. I'm not going to try to send it and nose right up on there. You certainly can. It's totally doable. I've done it. Yeah. But it's a struggle, uh, you know, unless you're Bonga Perkins or someone like that. Like <laughs> it's pretty, it's, it's kind of heavy. So, um, yeah, those, I don't, I don't know where we're going with the mid-length thing, but the, I do think that they sort of lived together. We certainly don't need, need a world longboard tour, but keep well, doing your Instagram handle. That'll be fun yeah. to watch. I, I think, you know, the thing is with the mid lengths for the last 20 years, you know, or so or more, they were relegated. And I remember selling them at this, my family shop and you'd sell mostly to entry level people. You'd be like, oh, you want a seven, six to start with. That way you can decide if you want to go longer or shorter after, you know, sure. and that was like kind of the mentality. And you didn't see people surf it as well uh as you and and you know your team and channel islands now who make it look amazing and i think that's what's changed is the the there's a dynamic shift in the perception of the board in the last five years on how you can ride it i think that's what's been the biggest game changer is you getting these incredible surfers from the channel islands team on these boards and showing that Oh, you don't have to just go straight. You can do all these incredible maneuvers and still catch tons of waves. Sure. That's what changed everyone's mind about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good point. And it it also I didn't think about this, but it also comes down to the word application again that we used earlier, totally. which is the uh, how do you write it? And there, there are no rules, but I do think they lend themselves to a very similar thing, which is drawn out, beautiful rail turns. It's like if you're into snowboarding, you, you're either going to go in the park mm-hmm. and hit all those different things that you can do and get, get super radical, or you can be someone who's looking for a big, giant, slopey face and doing giant carves. Exactly. In, in I think traditional longboarding and sort of the most of the mid-sized boards out there really lend themselves to that. And again, that's something that you can feel like, wow, this is art. This is beauty. This feels right. It's awesome. It's not about lacerating. Nothing against anyone who wants to lacerate. No, no, no. Dean Reynolds, by all means, we want to see you lacerate. <laughs> <laughs> but not all of us can do that. And so um, but it's a really nice offshoot of of this thing and i think they work well together and um you know longboard surfing is just something we didn't tap into that what why do we feel this calling why did it come back into our lives and it's like there's some like we're tapping into something quite ancient here and we can't quite explain it but there's something primal and you don't have to be polynesian to feel that it's just there's Mm -hmm. just something there that i think we we as humans feel um a connection and and I can certainly see why Polynesians were were attracted to that you know it's very Absolutely. powerful especially um, the the olos you know I yes. mean gosh yes that that is something regal and just the momentum you get from it is just probably I've never ridden an olo but I can imagine riding gliders even like I yeah the feeling of that momentum is quite exciting it makes a knee-high wave feel like an overhead wave sometimes yeah there was a quote i won't get it right but by tyler hatzikian and longboard one of the early longboard magazines maybe it was a profile or something or he was in france 
and he was describing how the feeling of longboard surfing and why he's so into it and when when everything's coming together and he's really just like hitting the mark on the things we've already discussed everything's coming together he feels the wave bleeding into him like mm. the wave bleeds into him it's like through the board and up through the legs and that's what you feel like i'm getting goosebumps right now because i'm like man i wish i was doing I love that like that is what just brings you back for more of this you know and that's what is really special about the feeling of whether it's a longboard or an olo something giant and heaven forbid you're trimming and going straight and having fun doing that shame on you but it, you you feel it you know and and that's why there's millions of people that are doing it and and want to talk about it and, and they want more they'd like obviously there are no magazines but they'd like more they want more things to sink their teeth into they might want to listen to what we're talking about that's they'd right. love to see the wsl do more you know just because it's it's they're just excited about it not because they want to sell it out or, or watch it get destroyed or get the lineup too full of people, but it's just that special. They want to share it. I think, I think that's cool to be part of this. I'm, I'm proud to be part of this community. It's it really be. been, it's been awesome, man. Like, and it's far from over. It's like, I'm still fired up. I'm still, I just turned 48 recently. And like, I'm working with Wayne Rich on traditional longboard designs to, to take a page out of Tyler's book is to like, Okay, man, if we're going to take that line that Tyler's talking about, where do we go? Where does it, where do we end up? I was just going to really, this was going to be my last question is why hasn't CI been able to really make a presence in longboarding? And now I have your name for your model. (laughs) I know what you can call it now. The, the CI, the next CI longboard model, the bleed. The bleed. Ooh. (laughs) The bleed. Oh my God. Yeah. If you're a short border, it's going to be bleeding your waves. You're going to be pissed. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think CI has just been such like a great performance shortboard brand. Maybe they just haven't felt the right window to enter that because yeah. Al didn't start shaping until 69. Right. Um, and he's always been about progression. But I don't know. I think there's room there. I think if if we were to ever do that and go into it with the right mindset, which is like, what's the purpose of this thing? You know, and if it's, if it's to enhance surfing and like be true to what like longboard surfing is about, but take it to that next place. Like if shortboarding hadn't existed, where would we be? That's probably the longboard that Al would have made. Right. So I think that that's something we could explore and could be fun. And we're lucky that we at, at Channel Islands, we have a really dear friend named Wayne Rich. And if anyone knows who Wayne Rich is, he's one of the most like badass underground shapers that has not even come close to getting his kudos because he's no. just like, he's so roots and so freaking underground that like, he just does his couple boards a week and is just kind of getting by, you know, he's not, he, he's not sitting on a pile of cash. He's just the real deal. And um, but everyone has his fins. You know, that's the amazing thing. Like his fins are like everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. And anyways, it's not like a commercial here for Wayne Rich, but I just love him so much. And like, he's, um, he's so humble. Joel Tudor's designs, a lot of the plugs have been either directly made by Wayne or collaborated with, you know, and he's done stuff with so many people and it'd be cool to see, you know, he's won the, the, 
What's the thing that Bass the, does? The, the, yeah, the the uh, the shape off the basically. icon the phone or yeah. whatever they call it. He's won yeah. that. He's judged it, and so those guys are real treasures. And I think um, the next generation behind him, all these young people coming up, they're the ones that are there. It's you know, it's like when I said I left the WSL. I said, look, you guys have all the tools to do this. You don't need me here anymore. I've done what I can. Let's see where you take it. And, yeah. and let's see where the young people want to take this, you know, like, I, I think it can just, it doesn't have to be monumental change overnight. I think we can hang on to the things that are great and let's leave the door open for people to surprise us, but not, maybe it's just going to be incremental improvements and that, that's okay, man. I mean, I listen to a lot of jazz music and there's the old stuff I listened to from the sixties and seventies and there's some new stuff that's inspired by that, but it's taken it to the next level and it's it's exciting, but it feels right and it feels familiar. And I think that's what is going to happen with longboard surfing, with or without competition. It's, it's here, it's not going anywhere. Um, and I think it's always gonna be open arms to a lot of people. I love it. Devin, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on and, and you. sharing your knowledge and wisdom here. Thank you. I hope we said some things that make sense. <laughs> I think we did. I think we did. Cool.